As those buckets pass, if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip to John chapter 9. We're going to start here and then we'll, we'll look at another passage in John. John chapter 9. Last week, Pastor Mike taught on, uh, on faith and the, the message sort of ended talking about IFR and VFR, uh, pilot terms for when you can fly based on what you see, clear skies, uh, cloudless days, you can see where the horizon is, you can see where mountains are, you can see where tall buildings are, and you can avoid all of them. That's VFR. IFR is when you can't see. Storms roll in, clouds get thick, um, weather patterns change, and all of a sudden you cannot rely on what you can see. You have to rely on your instrumentation. And it's unique for pilots, and I, I don't know firsthand, but it's unique for pilots um, because there's so many times that like instinctively you think, no, 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 like we're good, and I'm still going up when actually you've become disoriented and, and you're going down. And maybe just as a passenger, you've, you've felt that where you can feel the, the plane banking and turning on tight turns, but there's other times where if you track it on the little like seat back TV, you turn and you're like, I didn't even realize we turned. And, and so there are seasons of our life where we cannot rely on what we see. We have to rely on what God is speaking to us. And so I want to build kind of loosely on that and continue talking about faith. Um, but I want to ultimately talk about the, the moments where we're expecting something to happen and God does it differently. Um, we're expecting, you know, maybe to come in for a smooth landing or we're expecting, oh, okay, I can turn here, I can, char I can chart my course here. But uh, God is doing something very differently and we're having to depend on, on what we cannot see to, um, to get through it. So if you're in John chapter 9, we're going to look at, uh, at verse 2. John chapter 9, verse 2, it says, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Verse 3, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And I think that's such an interesting, interesting passage. And there's so many times when we're reading the word, we just, you know, we move fast or we we skip through, or things are familiar, and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, and then he heals him. You know, this is the story where, where Jesus spits in, the mud, spits in the dirt, makes some mud, puts it on his eyes, and, uh, and then he's healed of his blindness. And that's remarkable, and it's a fun, like, kind of wild testimony when you share it with the youth. Like, sometimes they're like, oh, like mud in your eyes. You know, he's like spit. Like, that's gross. Ooh. Um, but what really catches me in my reading of it is, is the this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Can you, like, it, it would be a beautiful story, a, a still a powerful testimony, if Jesus and the disciples are, are around, and this guy is there and he can see, but then an accident happens, uh, you know, maybe someone's playing with a slingshot or a, 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 a Red Rider BB gun, and, and he shoots his eye out, and... And from that, like, Jesus runs over and, like, heals him. And then it's like, wow, like, the glory of God. Like, this, he lost his eye, and now a, a creative miracle, this eye is recreated, and, and boom, that's amazing. But it's not that. It's, it's he was born blind, and then if you continue reading in this passage, he's adult enough that when, when the uh, religious elite, when the leaders call in his parents and say, is this your son? What happened? And they're trying to get to the bottom of it. Uh, the parents are like, He's old enough. You can talk to him about it. Like, we don't want to get in trouble for talking about Jesus in this context. 
And so he's lived, this blind man has lived long enough to be considered adult. And so I don't know if that's like, you know, 13 or 33 or even older, but he's been living blind his entire life. And it, and it cautions me about a few things because there are so many times in the way that we see Jesus that we acknowledge his goodness and we acknowledge his, his power and we acknowledge like the kingdom of God, but we tend to, th- to think of it as like Jesus saved me and, and God saved me and God loves me and we tend to make it a lot of like very me-centered. And when I think about this blind man who who went through something um, really unfortunate. He couldn't see, and sight's pretty incredible. He went through this so the power of God could be seen in him. And I just think, oh, that's not a me-centered gospel. Like, that's, that's something a little bit different. And so it, it cautions me that there are times where I put my faith in, in an outcome. I put my faith in Jesus will heal me, or this good thing will happen, or he'll bless me, or this will be good. But when we really break down uh, some of these passages that we're going to look at this morning, it seems like our faith should not be in an outcome, but our faith should be in, a, in the person of Jesus. And, and regardless of what the outcome looks like, I'll always put my faith in, in Jesus. And so that's where I, I want to get this morning. So as, as we begin to unpack that, um, will you let me pray one more time? And will you pray with me that we'd have hearts that would be tender and soft to what God wants to do. Because I, I believe there, there's going to be a little bit of a recalibration this morning. And so just pray this with me. So, Father God, we come before you this morning. And Lord, where our hearts have become hard or calloused, Lord, we want you to soften them. Lord, we want you to cut away anything that would, uh, that would be a callous, that would prevent us from feeling your soft touch. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and eyes to see so that we could recognize your truth, we could recognize your word, and we could respond to it. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and minister to our hearts. You're welcome here not just as a participant or not just as an observer, but uh, to actively minister to our hearts to make us more and more like you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at John 11. So just a, a few chapters later, John 11, this is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus. And to give us some context, I'll just, I'll read through it, and then, and then we'll break it down. Because there's a few verses that really jump out that um, you've probably seen a number of times, but this morning we're going we're gonna to sort of unpack a few things from them. So John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours a day, light every day. 
During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Yeah. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at that last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and, she, and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up with him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing around here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. It's a beautiful story. Jesus raises someone from the dead, and it is completely miraculous. But there's so much nuance in this story that I, I want to unpack a few key verses. I want to jump back to, to verse 3. John chapter 11, verse 3, it says, So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. I think what's, what's interesting about this is Jesus can promise that it will not end in death and someone can die. 
there might be there might be things in your life that you've got a prophetic promise on that that God has promised life in an area and it looks like death and it can feel there can be this temptation if you were the disciples and you hear Jesus say this and then a few verses later he's like let's go wake up Lazarus and they're like no he's just sleeping like it's okay and he's like no Lazarus is dead it can feel very much like wait but you said he wasn't going to die. Like, you said this wasn't going to end in death. Why is he dead? And it can be tempting in that moment to, to feel like God has lied. It can be tempting to feel like God has let you down. It can feel like he didn't keep his word or his promise. But this story gives me so much hope that even when something looks dead, when a situation looks dead, God can still redeem it, revive it, restore it, resurrect it. And so it, and it encourages me that, okay, all right, in those opportunities to fall into faithlessness, in those opportunities to fall into offense, I'm going to choose to, to remain faithful. I'm going to choose to believe even when there's no reason to believe. Even when he's been dead for days, I'm going to still believe. The second thing that I, I see in this is, is in verse 4 when it says, um, uh, let's see. It will not end in death. This happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. It makes me think that God cares more about the glory of his kingdom than my preference. So here are, uh, you know, a family that Jesus loves and Lazarus really dies. This isn't staged. It's not just like an exaggeration that he was like, he was super sick. Um, he's, he's really dead and his two surviving sisters are are probably upset that he's sick, likely upset that he's died, and then they have to do funeral arrangements and they have to do all of this. And four days later, when Jesus arrives, they're still mourning and there are still mourners with them. So like, they've been weeping and crying for, for at least four days. And that's a lot of grief to carry. And, and it can feel, if, especially if you're in a situation like that where you're going through some real grief, and you're, you're kind of asking, God, what happened? Like, I did not expect this to be like this. Uh, I want to encourage you, even though it doesn't, it doesn't feel very encouraging. I want to encourage you, like, there are moments where the glory of God is going to be so much, so much better than the grief you're having to endure in this moment. And, and I want us to, to think rightly about the gospel that we've accepted, that it is not a gospel of our preference, but it is a gospel of his kingdom. And, and even though he cares so deeply, he loves this family. He cared for Lazarus. He cared for Mary and Martha. He did not let their preference supersede the glory of the kingdom. And so there will be times in our life where because things aren't going according to our preference, there will be an opportunity for offense and I want us to put a wall up against that offense and say, no, 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 I will not let my heart get offended because this isn't looking like how I expected it to look. And instead, we're going to say, glory be to God. Glory be to God. When you go to verse 5, it says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, verse 6, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Even when bad things are happening, God still loves you. It, it's not... It's not that his love ever stops. It's not that his love ever runs out. It's not that, um, I don't even think it's that he's upset with you. I, I think there can be moments where he absolutely loves you. 
and yet he's thinking about a much bigger game. He's thinking about a much longer time frame. He's thinking about something so much deeper than, than what feels like a devastating loss. It doesn't describe that these women were married, and so in this culture and context, Lazarus was like their only hope of, of provision. He was their security. And so when they lost him, they didn't just lose a brother. They lost like their income. They lost their security. Like there was a lot of, of uh, ripple effects. There were a lot of second order consequences that would have been happening that now they're not just grieving the loss. They're grieving provision. They're, they're grieving their security. They're grieving all these other things that they've also lost with this. And so when Jesus comes back and restores Lazarus, he's also restoring all those other things. And so, so this is bigger than just a family member who's died. This is, this is huge. This is, you know, career and stability and security and, and all these other things. But it says, so although Jesus loved them, this bad thing still happened. Skipping down to verse 14, it says, so he, Jesus, told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go and see him. Difficult situations have a tendency to build our faith if we respond to them rightly. If we let a difficult situation create offense and bitterness in our heart towards God of, oh, I prayed to God and he didn't answer my prayer like I wanted to, it can create a distance and we can withdraw or we can double down and say, oh, but, but there's going to be a redemption to this. Like if we trust the nature and character of God, if our faith is in the person of Jesus, not in an outcome, then we can withstand any difficult situation because we can understand that he is a redeeming God. He is a loving father. And so if I don't see it right now, I will someday. And we can put our faith in who he is, not in an, in an outcome. The disciples had believed, but now they were going to really believe. And what's interesting is, is even the group that Jesus returns to when he comes back. He had stayed where he was, but now he's returning. When he returns, he returns to a group of people who had faith for healing, but didn't yet have faith for, for resurrection. Let's look at these verses. John eleven twenty one. 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She believes he could have healed his sickness. John eleven thirty two. 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She believed for healing, but neither of them are expressing resurrection power yet. Neither of them are, are crying out to God of like, but Lord, call him out of the grave. Like, let's see this. You know, I, uh, I'm thinking of all the different worship songs that we sing. And, and we're a congregation that like goes after those things. And so I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Like we have incredible faith and I, and I don't want to put water on that at all. This isn't, this isn't to say like, you know, people should die. This is, no, no, no. We're going to keep chasing after resurrection, life, and power. But I just want to show you, like, they had faith. John eleven thirty seven. it says, But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Again, faith for, for healing. But none of them were believing yet that, that Jesus could call Lazarus out of the tomb. So, so Jesus is about to perform this beautiful miracle of resurrection life. But he's also performing a miracle, not just in Lazarus, but in every person that was there, that now Jesus isn't just a good teacher and a healer. Jesus is life. Like he is the author and finisher of life. Like he, he can create life. He can give life. He can call people back from the dead. So now it's, it's a greater revelation of who God is. 
And it's a greater expectation of where their faith is, and it's a greater like increase of how they can walk with God. So, so not only, we always read it and we see the miracle of Lazarus, but we overlook the miracle of everyone who watched it. Now the disciples really believed, because they're not just following a good teacher and a healer, they're following someone who has, has command over life itself. And that's powerful. And so where I want to, to call us to is there might be seasons in our life where we go through something really difficult and we're praying, God, would you heal this thing? And God is saying, actually, I want to resurrect it. And, and through this difficult moment, I know it's going to be hard for a few days, but I'm going to, through that, strengthen your faith. Through that, I'm going to uh, reveal a new nature of my character. I'm going to reveal a new depth of who I am. And having gone through it, we will now not only understand God better, know him more deeply, um, but we will believe him for more. So, so had Jesus just healed Lazarus, none of those things would have happened. Those disciples wouldn't yet have really understood the power that Jesus had over life itself and over death. But because they were willing to suffer and still trust and still believe and still fall at his feet, and still acknowledge him as the son of God, even through difficult moments, it unlocked, it unlocked not only a miracle for their family, but for everyone around them. The difficulty that you're going through might be so that other people can know God better. The challenge that you're seeing right now, where God hasn't answered a prayer like you expected it to, it might be so that others can have greater faith. And so when we sing about like, oh, I, I want to pour out everything, or I'll be a living sacrifice. Like, sometimes we, we don't realize that that costs us our preference, that now we've forfeited the right to get every prayer answered the way we think it, it should be. Because we're, we're saying, God, your kingdom first over my kingdom. In my kingdom, like, new car, big house, you know, nice food, like, great things. That's my kingdom. God's got a different perspective, He's, he's wanting to develop perseverance and character and maturity. He's not wanting to just give me everything because then I'd be a spoiled kid. He's wanting to teach me hard work. He's wanting to teach me perseverance. He's wanting to teach me these other things. And so I have to submit to that in humility and say, okay, God, we will do it your way because your way is better than my way. Even if it costs me four days of, of grieving, even if it costs me losing something that I loved, even if it even if it hurts a lot, and I look at you and I say, but you could have kept me from pain. Oh, but his ways are better. His ways are different. His ways will restore it, if not in this life, in the next. What if the logical solution to your problem isn't how God wants to solve it? What if, what if God is doing something so different than we could understand it? What if he's playing this sort of three-dimensional chess, and all we're seeing is that we're a pawn. And we're like, but God, he jumped me, and now I'm, now I'm out. Like he, I guess it's jumping in checkers. I don't know what you call it in chess, but he, like, he knocked my pawn, and I was the pawn, and now I'm out of the game. Like, what happened? I thought you loved me. And meanwhile, he's looking at the whole chessboard of like, yeah, but like the kingdom of God is moving forward. Isn't that what you signed up for? <laughs> And so there's moments where it hurts, and we're like, but God, like, I thought, I thought, I thought the gospel meant that, I, like, everything was going to be beautiful now, and Jesus would just redeem everything, and a lot of times it is, and we should always reach for that, but we should not let there be this, uh, John Bevere calls it the bait of Satan, offense, that, 
that it's this thing that we want to latch onto because we get so caught up in, in like, well, why didn't Jesus do this for me? You know, I saw him do it for them. Why didn't he do it for me? And, and, it, and it gives us opportunity for offense. And once we've taken that, we've, we've, we've bit the bait and that hook is set. And it is, you have to do a lot of, Lord, <laughs> humble me and forgive me and repent to, to get off of that hook. And so this morning, that's one of, my, one of the things. Like, I want to build our faith, but I also want to calibrate our faith, that our faith isn't in an outcome. Our faith is in a person. And we can trust that he's good even when our circumstances aren't. And we can trust that he is restoring and redeeming even when it looks like Lazarus is dead. Think about it like this. God wants to provide for us, like full stop. Like he's faithful, he's a loving father, he wants to do that. But greater than providing finances, he wants to develop supernatural faith. Like faith is more important to God than, than that your bill got paid on time, right? There's, a, there's an order of what is important in the kingdom of God. My preference is fairly low. He still cares about it, but it's lower than like other people's salvation. So he wants to develop supernatural faith. God could easily send a big check to cover whatever need you have. But, what he's, but, but imagine if he's doing a deeper work. So in, in, in life, a lot of times we want him to move in our bank account, but he wants to move in our heart. He wants to develop trust. We just say, Lord, fix this thing that's broken. And he says, no, no I want to teach you through this. He's upgrading our faith. Changing our finances would be good for this month, but changing our heart will serve us for the rest of our life. Do you see how that's greater? It hurts sometimes because we're like, we're stressing out, we're seeing a bill or, you know, an unexpected expense. And, and, and there can be a moment of dread, a moment of like, oh, how am I going to do this? Help me, Lord, help me, Lord. But if he were to just meet a need, it would, it would be good for that month. But if he can change my heart, it'd be good for the rest of my life. I want him to move in my temporal body, but he wants to move in my eternal soul, Right? Healing my body would be good for right now, but healing my soul will benefit me forever. I want him to remove difficult people from my life, but he wants to make me more like Christ. <laughs> so removing someone who's obnoxious and irritates me would feel great, but leaving them makes me better. So do you see how there's like, if we're only believing God for the outcome, there's a lot of opportunity for offense. Our faith should not be in an outcome. Our faith should be in a person. And I've got to trust that this person has my best interest in mind. And sometimes my best interest is eternal. Sometimes my best interest is in the context of the whole kingdom of God. Sometimes my best interest is in his divine wisdom, which is higher than my wisdom. So even though I might think my best interest is comfort and pleasure, his best interest is character and perseverance and, uh, and long-suffering and patience and, and goodness and, and things that aren't fun to, to develop in us. God is so good to hear our prayers, and he's even better to give us the miracle we need and not always the one we ask for, right? Any, any parent who's got kids, you know what this is like. Your, your kids will ask you for things, and it's in your goodness sometimes that you don't give them what they ask for. Because what they asked for would, would ruin them. It would hurt them. It would destroy them. It would be detrimental. And for that three-year-old or five-year-old or 13-year-old, 
they can sometimes only see like, oh, my parents don't want me to have any fun. <laughs> my, parents are, my parents are a stick in the mud. And it's like, no, they have your best interest at heart. You just can't see it in, in and I'll call it what it is, in immaturity. I don't want us to be a church of, of immaturity. I want us to step into the maturity that God's called us to be. And it requires us to trust in him, not in an outcome. Let's look at, um, let's look at Hebrews 11. So can we believe that God is good and powerful and just and perfect even when he ignores our prayers and lets Lazarus die? Yes. Hebrews 11, verse 17, it says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So here's a great example of of what I'm pushing us to as a group, myself included. Abraham uh, had received this beautiful promise. He had a son. Things are going according to his preference, right? Like he wanted a son, he got a son, that's great. Now the Lord says, hey, sacrifice your son. Sacrifice your outcome because your faith is in me, not in the outcome. And Abraham said yes, because he trusted the nature and the character of God. He said, I know that God has resurrection life, that even when Sarah was as good as dead, her body was old, it still brought forth life. So if God can do that miracle once, he can do it again. Or if, if I sacrifice my son, God can bring him back somehow. He didn't have explanation for this yet. He didn't have the verses that we have in the Bible yet. He didn't have the, the, uh, the written history of God that's been passed down through generations. He didn't have any of that, but he was trusting in faith that God could do something miraculous. He was trusting the nature of God. He was trusting who God is, not the outcome. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8 says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the troubles we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. So this is Paul writing to uh, uh, some Christians in Corinth, and he's saying things were really bad. He thought he was going to die. Verse 9, In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Not we have placed our confidence in our situation that when things are going well, clearly we're doing the will of God. No, no, no. Things were going so bad, they not only thought they were going to die and felt like they were going to die, but they expected to die. And yet God broke through in those last moments when finally their faith hit a tipping point where it wasn't just in in their outcome, but it was in God. And they stopped relying on themselves and they fully relied on God. Then God broke through. And so he's going to take us to these points where it feels like everything is breaking and so that our faith is not dependent on anything we're doing, but our faith is totally dependent on God.
totally dependent on God. He says, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. Church, let us be a people that has placed our confidence in Jesus, not in an outcome, but in the person of Jesus. Sometimes it helps me when I'm, when I'm thinking through this or when I'm not seeing things play out the way I expected and my faith is, is shaken a little bit and I'm like, oh, that's, that didn't go like how I thought it would. It helps me to remember that I'm not the main character of the story, right? Like this is a beautiful story when you read the Bible. My name's not in it. <laughs> it's mostly about Jesus. Now it's about all of us together. It's God's redemption story, but I'm not the main character in it. And so when I look at um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is a beautiful example of, of recognizing your position in the story. Because their names are literally in this book, and they still knew that it wasn't about them. Let's look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, one of the most powerful kings uh, in the world at the time, um, he creates this gold statue and says everyone has to bow down and worship it. And these three Jewish boys, men, say, uh, no, we're not going to do that. That's uh, blasphemy and heretical, so we're not going to do that. And, and he, the, the king, blows into a rage and says, okay, make this fire super hot and throw them in it. And so they're literally going to be burned alive. And they have this bold statement to make. God will rescue us, but even if he doesn't. So their faith is not in an outcome, not God will rescue us, and if he doesn't, I'm going to be upset, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to question my faith and I'm going to deconstruct like what I believe and I'm going to pick and choose parts of the Bible that I align with because now I can't trust all of it. No, no, no. That's not what they said. They said, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. They were sold out on the person of God, even before Jesus. Like this is Old Testament God. This is like, we've got an even better version now. And and to hear them talk like that, it stirs something up in me. Because I think there are, there are moments in my faith when my faith isn't as strong as I wish it was where, where I say, God will rescue me. And then when it looks different than I expected, I think, oh, did I miss it? Did he miss it? Like, what's going on? And I begin to question a lot instead of just saying, but even if he doesn't, God is still worth it. I'm willing to die for this. That's a strong place to get to. But you don't get there overnight. And so we're, we're building we're building a solid foundation to where someday, whether it's our, our generation or our children's children's children, someday we know that Jesus is going to come back and things are going to get really rough and we want to have a, a, a body of believers. We want to have uh, Christians who are steadfast, who are solid, who are, who are willing to give everything. And so whether it's us or the next generation, we are going to begin to build this foundation to, to be strong believers, not fair weather, not I'm in it when it's good or I'm, I signed up for the blessings, but people who, 
who are willing to, to say, even if he doesn't, he's still worth it. So what about when the miracle doesn't come? What about when Lazarus isn't raised or you get thrown into the fiery furnace and Jesus isn't standing there in the middle and you get to walk out without any, any sm- smell of smoke or, or singed hairs? Matthew 11 gives us uh, an interesting, interesting context for this. John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for Jesus, he's shouting, prepare the way, get ready, the, you know, the kingdom of God is coming, and then Jesus comes. John gets arrested, and Jesus is performing his public ministry, he's doing incredible miracles, and John is in prison. And Jesus is preaching, and his public ministry is going really well, and John is still in prison. And John sends some of his disciples, some of his his posse, to go and talk to Jesus, and they ask him, hey, are you, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Christ? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Because John is in prison, and Jesus responds saying, tell John this. Tell him the blind eyes are open. Tell him the lame are walking. The deaf can hear. Tell him, like, what you've seen, all the miracles. And then we get this in Matthew eleven six. Jesus tags on with that in the context of John being in prison. He says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus could have, you know, got a whole army of angels and marched into that prison and rescued John. We see something similar happen several times in the New Testament where people are miraculously let out of prison. But that didn't happen for John. And it seems like John wanted it. Even though I can't point to a verse where it says, and John wanted to be out of prison, I think it's safe to assume he did. I think that's fair to read between the lines the way he sends some of his disciples to go and ask Jesus, like, hey, you're really the guy, right? Because I'm in prison. And yet what we see is three chapters later in Matthew 14, John the Baptist is beheaded. He dies. His story doesn't end with like a miraculous thing, with a beautiful outcome, where like, and the Lord resurrected it, and it was hard for a little while, but then it got better. In this life, it didn't end well for John. And we're not promised that it will end well for us. We're not promised that every situation is going to be fun or convenient. We're promised that God's going to restore all things, but that's not in our timing. And it's not promised that it's going to be in this age. Jesus speaks about John and says he's, he's one of the greatest of anyone who was ever born. It's really high praise. Jesus loved John, and he still let him, let him die. And I don't know why, I don't understand all of it, but that's why I want to encourage you, our faith has to be in the person of Jesus, not in our outcomes. It can't be in our situations, it can't be how our prayers get answered, it has to be in who he is. Because if if John's faith was in the outcome of, Jesus, I, I foreran your ministry, like I promoted for you, like I, I said I must decrease and you must increase. He's like, why wouldn't you come and get me out of prison? If his faith was in the outcome, John would have fallen away. But his faith was in the person of Jesus. And even when it wavered, Jesus' encouragement was, look at the miracles, you can trust me, even if I don't do the miracles for you. If I'm doing them for someone else, there's still enough there that you should trust me. And so we're called to be the same. We're called to live the same way where where Jesus says, I'm enough even if I don't do it for you. If you've seen it in someone else, you can trust that that's who I am 
and that I am the Christ, I am the Son of God, even if I don't get you out of prison, even if I don't rescue you from that situation. If you want to flip over to Hebrews 10, there's some powerful verses there. Hebrews 10, um, it's an unknown author. Some people think it might be Paul. Other people argue it was someone else. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a scholar in those things. I also wasn't there when it was written. But Hebrews chapter 10, uh, this letter is addressing um, believers in a, in a whole region. So it's not just like one person and it's not just like, you know, two small people. Like These are letters written to like groups of people. And so I want you to understand this, this context. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, it says, Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. This is a unique perspective. This is a very mature perspective. There was a whole group of Christians who, when they said yes to Jesus, it had real consequences in their community. That people were imprisoning them, they were uh, confiscating their things, they were stealing their stuff, they were beating them. And as a community, they were all going through it. It wasn't a one-off. It wasn't just one guy who was like a super Christian and he's like, ah, you know, I'm going to do this for the Lord. It was a whole group of believers that were going through this persecution and they accepted it with joy. Man, that's a position that I'm not ready for yet. And I can read it and I can see where we're like, the Bible is here and I'm still somewhere down here and I'm saying, okay, God, but you're calling me to live like this. So I've got, to, I've got to grow my faith and, and really not just grow it, but shift it. My faith isn't an outcome. It's not, you know, because I'm sure they prayed at one time or another, God, could, could you maybe get us out of prison or have them stop stealing our stuff or stop beating us? I assume they were praying that. I would be. But that's not how God answered that prayer. Instead, he answered it by, by fortifying their faith and saying, oh, you know that there is better things waiting for you that will last forever. This, this um, we're going to jump to it in 2 Corinthians later, but Paul says this present trouble that's small and won't last very long, like that's what they were, that's what they were feeling. They were like, oh, this is, this is for this life, but the, the next life is going to be so much better, so much longer, so much more eternal. The verse continues, verse 35, it says, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. I think there have been a lot of people that have thrown away their confident trust in the Lord because it didn't end like they wanted it to. Like it didn't play out like they expected. And the, the encouragement is don't throw away your confident trust. Remember the great reward it brings you. Verse 36, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Rock Church family, we are not like those who turn away. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Praise God. 
I referenced it, but just to read it, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things we cannot be seen. For the things we can see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Faith isn't just for this life. Faith isn't just to get us, you know, into heaven. Faith will last for for eternity. So with that, I, I want to continue to always push us to believe for every promise and, and testimony that we read in the Bible, I want us to reach for everything that God has for us, for provision, for health, for safety, for security, uh, for um, advancement, for favor, for blessing. I want us to pray for healing, and I want us to pray for deliverance. I want us to reach for all of those things. But I want us to also understand that our faith is not based on on how those prayers get answered. Our faith is based on the person of Jesus. And so it, it becomes almost like, um, almost like this guitar over here. The tension on those strings. You have, to, you have to put the strings of a guitar under tension. If they were totally relaxed, you wouldn't be able to play any sound. And if you cranked the tension down too strong, the strings would pop or the neck would snap. And so there's a, there's a middle ground where it's harmonious. There's a middle ground where there's enough tension on both sides that it sounds beautiful. And the tension that we walk in as believers is God can and will do all of these incredible miracles. And yet, even if he doesn't, he's still worthy and wonderful and good and perfect and just and awesome. And he cannot be improved upon. And and that feels like a bit of a tension sometimes of, I'm going to reach for these miracles but even if they don't happen, like I'm going to still trust that God can still do it. And, and many of us have seen that in one way or another. We've prayed for someone to get healed and they didn't get healed. And we, we think, I don't know why. I don't understand it. And I can't always explain it, but I know that my life is lived in this tension of I'm going to reach for everything that God has for me, everything that the word of God promises for me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up any ground on any of these promises. There are good and beautiful promises in there that Jesus paid for. But if I don't see him, I'm still going to trust that he's good. I'm still going to trust that he's worthy. I'm still going to trust that he's on the throne and that he hasn't lost any bit of power. I'm still going to trust in who he is, not in my outcome. And so with that, how do we, how do we know how to navigate those moments? How do we know when we're in a Lazarus moment? How do we know if, if like, oh, like this, this thing is actually producing something good in me and I don't realize it right now. I'm praying away the very thing that God's trying to use to sharpen me or to grow me. How do we know? Well, I want to finish with this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And worship team, if you guys could come back up. Colossians 1, verse 9, it says, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what we need in this season. That's what we need in every situation and in every season. So it's with a confidence that I say that we need it in this season because we need it in every season. But Paul writing to, to the church, he's saying, we've, we've never stopped praying for you. And, and this is one of the things that he's praying. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. When we can understand his will, 
then it makes it so much easier to not get, get, um, not get hooked or baited into falling into offense, not to get upset because things didn't go our way. It, it makes it so much easier to trust who God is when we can see his will. Even though we might not understand it, if he can show us, this is what I'm doing. I'm refining you. I'm sharpening you. I'm improving you. I'm growing you. I'm maturing you. Once we can see that, then we say, okay, this is just part of the process. And we can still put our faith in who God is. So that's, that's going to be my prayer for us this morning. Yes, I want to pray that our faith is sharpened. I want to pray that our you know, theology is a little bit more refined, that we're not just trusting an outcome, but we're trusting the person. Yes, I want our faith to grow stronger. Yes, I want us to do well in, in IFR conditions when we can't see, when it doesn't make sense. But more than anything, I want to pray that we have complete knowledge of his will and that he gives us spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because from those things, I think everything else begins to take care of itself. When I can hear God's voice clearly, everything else sort of gets ironed out. Everything else isn't as big of a deal. Because when I'm going through a challenge, I can hear his voice saying, you're doing well, keep pushing in. When, when my prayer's not being answered, I can hear him saying, hey, that's okay, try again, try again. When, when I'm praying for someone and it doesn't go like I thought, I can hear him saying, trust me in this, trust me in the process. So if I, can, if I can hear him, all of that other stuff gets ironed out. And when I can hear him, I can begin to understand the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding that comes by hearing his voice. So would you stand with me? We're going we're gonna to press in for this. We're going to ask God to give us this. He's a generous God. He's a loving father. He wants to give good gifts. Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly father give the gift of the Holy Spirit? If, if us as people know how to give gifts, Christmas is coming up, you know how to buy something and wrap it at least a little bit, right? Like, like my wrapping is I just put it in a bag and throw the tissue paper on it. But I at least know how to do that. How much more will a heavenly father know how to give the gift of the Holy Spirit? And it's the Holy Spirit who makes this stuff known to us. So let's ask him for that this morning. Father God, Father God, we pray that you would give us this knowledge of your will, that you would give us this spiritual wisdom and understanding. Give it to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we understand it's likely not going to be neon signs. It's likely not going to be sky riding and, and, and airplanes in the sky with banners in tow. Lord, we, we understand that it's going to be a, a still small prompting. We understand that it's going to be impressions. It's going to be dreams and visions. It's going to be uh, through your word. It's going to be um, prophetic utterances. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to come in ways where we're going to have to trust that we're hearing you. But Lord, we want it. And Lord, where it's been difficult, Lord, we sign up again to say, I will believe. Lord, where we've struggled with offense in the past, Lord, take us out of that trap of the enemy. Lord, free us from that, that cage where our hearts have become hard because it didn't play out like we thought where maybe John the Baptist died in our life and we thought, well, that can't be God. Where something bad happened and we thought, well, surely that's not God's will. Lord, help us when we, when we can't understand it, when we can't make sense of it. Lord, help us to trust your character and your nature, the unchanging nature of God to be good and to be loving, to be merciful, 
slow to anger and full of abounding love. Lord, that's who you are. And so we will put our faith in that, not in an outcome, not in the way a prayer gets answered, not even in a prophetic word. Lord, we will put our faith in who you are, not what you can do for us. Lord, we choose to shift our gaze from your hand to your heart. Your hand is what you can do for me. It's what you have for me, but your heart is who you are. And so, Lord, refix our eyes this morning on, on who you are. Give us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Holy Spirit. Rest that this morning you would, you would speak clearly to us. Lord, whatever challenge we're facing, whatever difficulty we're going through, Lord, whatever promise we're waiting on, whatever destiny hasn't yet unfolded, Lord, we ask that you would come and, and give us spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. Give us complete knowledge of your will. And Lord, where we have maybe disengaged and said, no, I don't want to be on the chessboard because that hurts. If I'm not the, the king, I don't want to play. Lord, we re-sign up again today that even if we're only pawns, Lord, we'll do it. It's worth it for your kingdom. Even if our role in this is just to help advance the kingdom forward, Lord, we'll sign up. We'll say yes again. Lord, where we've withdrawn or said, no, you can't have this area of my life, Lord, we, we put it again on the altar and say, no, I'll do it again. I'll give of myself. I'll be a living sacrifice. Lord, you can have everything. I want to pour it out at your feet. Lord, we re-sign up again. We re-enlist. Thank you, Father. Just a minute here. I'm just going to close with communion. And again, it's to, it's to take, I love what Andrew says, that like it's, we're going to let go of our preferences and we're going to put our eyes back on Jesus. We're going to put it on the person. We're going to put our faith in Jesus and not on the outcomes. As he was sharing, I was thinking of in Acts 6 where the disciples, they bring in, they pray in, and the Lord shows them seven others that are to come alongside and to kind of be overseers and to help and Stephen was one of them and and he gets selected and, and I was thinking like how cool like okay ah, I got to be selected as one of the seven and and then in the next chapter he gets stoned to death by Paul who's holding he's holding his cloak and, and you go well Lord like, he just got selected to be one of these, and then he gets, he's the one that gets stoned. And then a chapter later, the very guy that's holding his cloak, you appear to, and he becomes the guy that, like, writes half of the New Testament. Some of these things just don't make sense. Like, Stephen was a man of God already. Like, why didn't you just use Stephen instead of the guy who was killing him? And Lord, I just, I just pray right now. I ask that all the offenses that we have, I felt like before we take communion, that we actually ask the Lord forgiveness for the offenses that we've taken on. The, the things that you, like, like that's a big one. If I'm Stephen, I mean, I, I love that his face was shining and he was just glowing and he was seeing the Lord and he, he goes to be with Jesus. But if I'm on the outside, I'm going, that just doesn't seem right. 
And why would you appear to the guy and like come alongside him and and in a sense bring him into the place of, of being a disciple when the other guy was was living for the Lord? And, and then I'll just here's Jesus. And what, what what Andrew said is so important at the end here about understanding the and knowing the will of God. We have to have the knowledge of his will. When Jesus goes to the cross and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays three times to the Father. Three times he goes to God and he says, God, if you can take this cup from me, if there's another way, Lord, do it. But each time he ends with, but not my will, but your will be done. Three times, this is Jesus going to the Father, asks for the cup to be removed, but says, but Lord, your will be done. And, and I, he was just hitting me as he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. That this is, this is the, this is the one who sets up faith for us. And he's the one that was going, God, if there's another way. These are the struggles that we go through in life. And we look at it, and we know the story now, but to go, when you really look at this, you go, God, this was your son. Like, couldn't you have done it another way? But his ways are so much higher than our ways. We cannot see the fullness of his plan. But we know in part, and our eyes just have to be upon him. And we say, Lord, whether I live or whether I die, (laughs) it's for you. It's for your glory. Paul talks about it in Philippians 1. He's he's torn, actually, between, well, if if I live, it's so that I can live for you, for the people on, on the earth, and that, that there would be good fruit that would come out of his life. But he's like, but man, but to die is to go be with Christ. And he knew his time would come. All we do is we set our eyes on Jesus. Never get offended. So Lord, I pray right now that you just as we pause before we take communion, Lord, that each for each one of us, for me, I, I, I think of the times where I've been offended that, ah, that wasn't fair. Lord, would you remove the offense from my heart? And I pray for every person here. God, we repent right now. We said, take the offenses away. Even those that have like kind of just got rooted down in there and we've gotten past it we've gotten over it we still love you Lord would you root out those offenses right now that they would have no hold in our lives reveal those areas of our heart right now those stones that have been kind of they're underneath the soil you can't see them but what they do is they actually affect our faith 
they affect the ability for the root system to go down because we've been offended at something and we're like, yeah, Lord, I, I trust you, but I, I don't really trust you in that area because it didn't work out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of hold on to that area. Lord, I pray that we would let those things go right now. Heal those areas of our heart. Remove those stones right now. Lord, we ask you for pure hearts. It says those that are pure in heart will see God. I pray for clarity to see in this season. That we would see your plans, your purposes, the things, what, what Paul prays in Ephesians, to give, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of our heart that we would see you, that we would know you. May we know your will, your plans. But regardless of whether we know them in our mind, Lord, I thank you that we put our trust and our hope in you. We put our faith in you. We don't shrink back because it didn't work out the way we thought it would. So I just thank you, Lord. I thank you. This message that Andrew preached today, Lord, this would drive deep into our hearts. That we would stand firm in this season not based on what we see, but based on you, Jesus, on who you are. No matter what the circumstances are. You read, you read the faith chapter that Andrew went into, but read the end. It's all these great things. And then you read the end, and it's like, wait a minute. They got sawed in two. They got, they like, <laughs> it did not end well on this earth for those that had faith. Yet it said God had a better plan. The plan was better in the fact that they didn't survive the way we thought, we think that we should survive. It says that, actually, let me just read it here. This is just that end. This will offend people if you really look at it. <laughs> it says this. Right after the ones that says they conquer kingdoms, administer justice, gain what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, preach, quench the fury of the flames, and escape the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and who routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And then you just stop right there. Because after that, it goes, others were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeering and flogging. Others were put in chains and in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world, here's the part, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all, I can't read my word, uh, my Bible's all ripped here. <laughs> they were all commended for their faith. It says, yet none of them received what had been promised. For God had planned something better for us so that only together with us, with 
the next generation, with the ones where the baton is being handed on to, only together would they be made perfect. That word is teleos. It's, it's actually perfected. Would they be perfected? Which is Hebrews 12, the author and the perfecter of their faith. So Lord, I thank you that we set our eyes upon you. You're the author, you're the perfecter. Yes, there are promises. But the outcome of those promises, we press into, but we press into the one. We press into you, Jesus. Help us to never become offended when things don't go as we thought they should go. And so, Lord, as we just finish here with communion, I thank you that it is all eyes on you. Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you that it was broken for us. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that, that we are your body. You're the head. We're the body. What I, what I love about the body is the body only does what the head determines. If the hand wants to do what the hand wants to do and the foot wants to do what the foot wants to do, like, we're all in trouble. <laughs> but when the head controls the body, it flows in alignment. So, Lord, I thank you for your body, which was broken for us, that we would become part of the body of Christ. But, Lord, we thank you that you're the head. And as you put your spirit within us, you guide us and you lead us by your spirit. And Lord, we thank you for the blood. Lord, this blood is the most powerful thing on the face of the earth. And it, it, it removes the sins and the past and the things, all the stuff that would weigh us down, it removes it. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You purify us by your blood so that we can walk in right standing with you, so that we can have that atonement for our sins and come into right standing, so that we can have relationship with you, dwell with you, walk with you. All the days of our life, no matter how long or how short it is on this earth, Lord, that we would fully live our lives for you. So as we close, Lord, we just, we thank you for the opportunity to just, to take hold of you, to take hold of your body and your blood. Lord, may you be glorified in our lives every day. No matter what the circumstances are, may you receive the glory. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just going to soft close here, come up and take communion. And let the Lord just kind of finish the work in your heart. I feel like for some of you, there just may be, you need to just pause and let him just kind of work in there and show you some things and reveal some things that we would have that pure heart that can see God. God bless you guys. Love you.